just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. My guest on this episode is Ken Rakowski. Now, when I first got in contact with Ken, I was like, oh, I know that name from somewhere. And it turned out I'd already been following Ken on Twitter for a number of years and hadn't realized it was the same Ken. Now, Ken is an incredible public speaker. He's also the founder of the Metal Networking Organization, which is primarily a networking organization for men, although there are some advancements that are being made to make a part of that club available for women as well. It's a great club where he's helping men to be better in business, better partners, better husbands, better in their lives in general, supporting each other in an environment without politics, without gender preference, without any of the things that we sometimes seem to end up in online conflicts and debates around these days. Just people helping each other from a genuine heartfelt space. So you will feel the love as we connect here with Ken Rakowski today and I hope you'll agree with me that he is an amazing guest and he shares a lot of fantastic information. In fact, it's quite possible that Ken is the very first person ever to do a podcast. So we'll find out more about that. Stay tuned. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Speaking of Influence, the podcast for speakers and professionals or anyone who wants to present with impact. Hosted by presentation persuasion coach John Ball. Remember to like and subscribe. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, there couldn't be an easier way to get started than getting started with Buzzsprout. They have all the tools and resources you need for starting a podcast and getting out to all the major podcasting networks. Check out the link in the show notes and get your podcast started today. Hi, uh, hello, Ken Rakowski. Welcome to Speaking of Influence. It's so good to be here. Thanks a lot for inviting me. I'm really pleased to have you. You are an exceptional guest in so many ways. And, you know, we, we probably all wish we had those people in our network who are great at networking and you just know that they know everyone and really great to be connected to. You are like the model for this, I think. You know, you are a, a king of networking in, in many ways. And so we're going to talk a bit a bit about that a bit further on. But it's certainly been great to get introduced to you. And we'll talk a little bit about your network as well. Now, I should be introducing you perhaps as Sir Ken Rakowski. Uh, why, yeah. why, should I, why should I be doing that? Well, it's not part of the royal knighthood of St. Constantine, which is out of Spain. It's one of the or- oldest orders of knighthood. And I was knighted by the king of Spain, which most people don't even know Spain had a monarchy, but they do. So it's just one of those many unique things that happen from your network. Remember, your network is your net worth. And as long as you tie them together, incredible things could happen to you that you would never expect. 
Yeah, becoming becoming a knight, a sir in Spain is certainly something you probably don't expect to ever happen to you growing up. And I didn't even know they had a knighthood system here. And you know, I, I live in Spain, and I, I knew there was a royal family, but I didn't know they had a a knighthood system. But uh, that's that's fantastic. Well, uh, Sir Ken, and uh, the only other Sir Ken I've ever known was Sir Ken Robinson, uh, who was uh, sadly we lost last year. He's not here uh, anymore. He's, he's not, not here, here anymore. anymore so yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, but yeah, you just um, go with Ken. Let's just go with Ken. <laughs> it's all good now you you are perhaps in in not where we might expect you to be right now so so where in the world are you well it's very similar to you uh, i've learned to live nomadically um so my partner and i decided to go look at some of the most unique places in the world that have decent broadband that's the key and we made a list uh the middle of last year we didn't know that covid would have taken us for a ride so we went to our first location, which was Dubai, and we spent about three months in Dubai. And then we had a different country to go to every month from there, and that didn't work. So we went to the last country that was on our list, and that's Bali. And we're going to stay in Bali for the next maybe five to six months before we go back to Dubai again. So well, I've, I've never been there, but it sounds like a pretty cool place to be sitting out some of the stuff that's going on in the world right now. Yeah, it is. I, I'm, I'm pretty uh, aggressive on stories on Instagram, Ken Radio. So every day I might be doing 10 to 20 stories of what's going on around here. And that's part of that whole connecting concept, which we'll talk about a little later on. Because I think to show what people's lives are really like, not Instagrammable perfect, but really storytelling, it draws people in more to want to connect with you. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, for, for me, it's like when, when we first got in contact, I knew that I knew your name from somewhere and, and I just couldn't quite pull out of my head where it was. And then I was on Twitter and saw some posts on Twitter and realized I've been following you on Twitter for the longest time already. <laughs> and I, and I, of course, that's where I know your name from. You're, you're pretty I active on the socials. I love Twitter. I, I mean, I'm old. I'm turning 55 this year. I think that if social media is used right, I mean, really going even back to the old, old social media tools of like rise in a small world, if they're used the right way, they allow you to have those building blocks of those relationships and you just migrate them or mitigate them into the right path to make sure you're having the proper communication with those right people. We'll talk about that. So first, can we, can we just step back? I loathe the word networking. I hate right. it. Um, I think networking is that that cool person that goes to an event saying, hey, here's my card, here's your card, and I'll call you later. I am not cool whatsoever. Um, I think heart-centered connection is really important to make real relationships and to foster those. So as long as I can connect with somebody and know their their kids' names or their greatest achievements or their biggest fears, we're connecting at a level that really builds a bond between one another. And as long as that happens, networking is so passive because what we're doing is we're connecting. And that's when real growth comes from a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's wonderful. I mean, networking is, is overused. And uh, my earliest experiences of networking were very much what you're describing and um, people thrusting business cards in your face and uh, trying to find out as quickly as possible if you were useful to them or they were useful to you. And if you weren't, 
they're not interested and they move on to the next person. And it was, that was very functional and, and a bit cold, really, for my liking. And so now I'm much happier. And I think maybe I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one here because you do this as well. In fact, you've even set up a whole network about this where people are really connecting, people are making friends. You have people you can actually rely on or say, hey, look, there's some stuff, some personal stuff going on. You could potentially talk about that stuff and not think you have to keep it all business or it's about getting the sales and, and things like that. Much more personal connection. It, it should yeah. never be that. And I'll tell you, when I go to an event, I mean, I speak all over the world. Uh, when, when you're, when you're at, the, again, I, I, I want to say that I've been in the industry a long time. I really started when I was around 20 years old. I'm 55 now. So it gives you an idea of that had long path in that journey. So I've got to a point to where I'm a pretty high paid keynote speaker. So I speak and I'm the keynote. So there might be some other speakers. But when I speak, there's a massive line after because I'm really good at speaking. And I get all these name cards, these business cards from people. And if I do it right, I always like to be the first speaker if I do it right. Because then I use Evernote, which is a tool I have on my phone. I scan every business card into Evernote, which then sends it out to LinkedIn. And then it sends them a letter. And then what I do is every one of those cards, I go back to the people and I give them their card back going, I have all your details. I want to give this back to you so you could give it to somebody else. Because yeah. I have a feeling you're going to run out of business cards so, because you're so impressive. And then they go, wow, you remembered me, one. Two, you gave me something back that I gave you, but you've already sent me a letter. And three, you remembered my name. <laughs> and I just every event I go to. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the things I definitely noticed when we first connected was just how big you are on that personal connection. It's like, it really matters to you who people are. And I felt probably within, within a, a few minutes of speaking to you, like I'd known you a long time. He's like, you, that sort of, well, yeah. that's a real skill. That's, that's a, a, a wonderful you, thing. You can follow me on Twitter. Yeah. You know, like I, I know about your personal relationship, your parent relationship, what's going on with your holidays. I mean, I love that type of stuff because now we have celebrations of what's going on with you. And I, I love that. And, but I yeah. also know what your passion is because let, let's get down to it. And I hate to become very basic on things, but everything we do in our lives, if you look at it right, it has a return of value. Many of us might call it an ROI, right? A return of the investment. If, if I go to the store to buy something, I hope to eat it as soon as possible. I took time to go buy it to eat it. There's the return of your investment. Every relationship has a return to it, meaning are they going to make me laugh? Are they going to console in me? Am I going to console in them? Will we build something together? Or will I be able to hand something to that person from another relationship where I've become somewhat of the glue between that, which only builds the bonds between that person and the other person. Everybody has a value, everybody. So the thing is, you just have to categorize where those value points are in that time of your relationship with them. Yeah. I know it gets deep, but this is important. Well, I, I would, I, in all honesty, I, I felt that when I came and connected with, with your organization, your metal group, when you invited me to one, one of your meetings, that even though I was, I was in like breakout rooms on Zoom with some incredibly impressive people, um, that I didn't feel like I was like, um, left there sort of being, I don't know, someone who, 
perhaps didn't deserve to be there on the same level with them or it, it just like everyone just wanted to connect and, and everyone valued each other and and so it's not just that you are um teaching and preaching that yourself you are enacting that uh, within an, organi- an organization of people who come together and believe that as well and want want to have that kind of interaction and just say hey it's, it's cool if you know not everyone operates at the CPI levels uh, but you still have value and still we still want to hear what you've got to say everybody is equal inside my community period and that's yeah. important you know, and if you met you know from Chris Voss, maybe you may have bumped into, or or Kenny Aronoff, who's the top drummer in the world, Scott Page from Pink Floyd. They're all in the group, but they're eager to meet you as much as you want to meet them. Everyone's the same because ego then doesn't get in the way. You know, metal's a heart-centered, it's a men's group. Now everyone's going to go, oh God, a men's group. Hey, I'm here to make men better men, make them better husbands, better brothers, better sons, better dads, better partners, better husbands is the key. So if there's someone out there going, this is really bad for women, no, because I want men to be great men. And by the way, uh, 20% of our community are gay men. I want them to be good husbands to their significant others too, because a good relationship makes a great man, period. Yeah. So I, I believe in that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved the whole philosophy when I was in there. Very happy to have connected into that and, and very happy that you invited me into it because it gave me a real taste of what you're about. Because, you know, you say, you know, people by their deeds, not just by what they say. And it's like, okay, you really want to know that people are walking their talk and that the values that they say they have are actually being shown in the things that you do. And so seeing people right. who actually demonstrate their values to me. It is always super important, you know, in who I associate with and who I, you know, even who I work with. You know, one of the reasons I worked with like Harv Ecker for many years is because he has great integrity and, and does what he says and lives his values and isn't just talking and walking the talk. And, uh, um, no, it's in just talking the talk. So he's walk, he walks his talk and, and lives it. Uh, and so, you know, that kind of integrity is, is super important. People talk about it a lot and it loses meaning, integrity, but you know it when you see it, right? Well, did you notice there's certain rules we have in our community? And I kind of passed through those with life. One, you cannot talk about politics because it's too divisive, regardless of where you're from in the world. If you're in India and you want to start talking about what's going on with Modi and what's going on in Parliament, oh, my God, it could get too decisive because someone who actually might be your friend on the other side completely disagrees with you. We don't talk about politics. We do not talk about religion. Same thing, divisive situations. We do not talk about gender preference. Hey, guys are in there. That's great. I don't care what your preference is. I just want you all to be in harmony. And then what we believe in is we always want to make sure we are sharing contacts with one another. So I do something called CCCP. We share contacts. We give credit where credit is due. We pay cash. You're in the community called metal. doesn't mean you're getting discounts. It means you're getting great value and a relationship. And then the P is protect. Somebody gets inside the group that could be kind of a problem. We need to know so we can eradicate that individual. So yeah. simple rules to follow, and I think we should follow in life also. Yeah. Uh, other other than, I mean, I'm a bit curious about this, but other than being like a, a group that's helping people to be, helping men specifically to be better in their relationships and, and networks, um, were there other reasons why you specifically wanted a group that was just for for men? I can tell you exactly why. Um, so I started the group way back in uh, 2003 when I lived in Los Angeles. I moved from San Francisco 
I, I co-founded a bunch of pretty cool Silicon Valley companies that got sold to Google and to Yahoo and to Microsoft. I did fairly well financially when I moved to Los Angeles. I realized it was the land of what I call $30,000 millionaires. They were people that pretended to have everything and you realized they had nothing and they would siphon relationships and resources from myself and other people. So when I started Metal, it was a bunch of us guys together and it was co-ed, other women. The problem was the guys would hunt the women, meaning they would date them. They would use it as a dating environment. Right. I set some ground rules, but it never changed. It just never, maybe it was an anomaly of Los Angeles. It was maybe because that's, you, know, you can be a man my age dating on a 21 year old. It's kind of weird. Middle East here in Bali and Los Angeles. Otherwise it's strange. So as I move forward, I said, I need to get these guys to be more focused on one another, not the opposite sex. I made it co-ed and it just grew. It yeah. grew. And then the wives and girlfriends came to me of the guys going, my boyfriend and my husband has become a better, a better man. I go, why? Cause he's not going out on Friday nights. Cause we would meet on Saturday mornings. He's not going out anymore on Friday nights. And then when he goes out on Saturday nights, he goes out with these guys that he's met from the community. And these are C-level people. They're very, very uh, ambitious, but they're, they're uh, heart-centered. And all of a sudden, I started to realize less guys are getting divorced. Guys are working out together. Families are working out together because we would do hikes and activities. And it became an environment where it wasn't shunned on and looked down upon because I involved the community to be part of this, to make these guys better men. And it's yeah. just as perpetuated and it's worked. It's fantastic. It certainly was a, a great environment to, to be in and experience. And I've only had a taste of it so far. And I, I definitely, definitely plan to, to come back and I really enjoyed it. Um, one one of the things that I I do want to get to you is is that you do uh, not just the not just your metal organization but you also do do a lot of speaking as you've already mentioned. Now most people don't really start off as being great speakers or getting up on the stage, but it sounds like you you got a pretty early start in this. Um, what got you onto the stage? What was your path to the stage, if you like? Well, again, I started very early, so in uh, the nineties, I and everyone can do what I'm about to tell you. I was listening to the radio and I heard a horrible presenter on the, on the radio. It was, my ears were bleeding. It was so bad. <laughs> so I, I stalked down that radio station where it was and I walked in and I go, how does this guy have a radio show? They go, well, he has a radio slot because we have nothing else to put there. And I go, well, I want to do that. I want to do it. And I had no radio experience whatsoever. They go, all right, you can do it at this time, once a week. And this place was about an hour and a half from where I lived. So I called a friend of mine at that time. I go, hey, I'm about to do a radio show. I've never done a radio show. Would you want to be my co-host? And his name was Ted Waite. And Ted just started a computer company called Gateway 2000, which became a, a pretty big computer company in the 90s and early 2000s. And Ted said, sure. So Ted and I started to host a technology show really before what the internet was. And Ted would, because he had a computer company, would go, hey, I got this guy that I've been talking to. Like, um, He's got this, this software company I'm using called DOS. Would you want him on the show? I go, yeah, what's his name? He goes, well, Bill Gates. I go, yeah, let's put him on. You know, I, I don't really know much about him. 
So Bill would get on and Bill was the opposite of cool. But we made Bill sound cool. And Bill would go, well, would you want? And all of a sudden, Bill started opening up his Rolodex to get more people on the show because we made the nerds look cool. So we started getting more and more back then nerds. Well, big was the early days, right? And theoretically, you do the same thing now in other industries. But Bill gave us Larry Ellison. Larry Ellison would go off and, and, and give us somebody else, you know, Mark Benioff, who actually worked for Larry Ellison at that time. And we started getting all these cool people, and the show had a lot of momentum out of this teeny little town in southern Illinois. And then one day out of nowhere, National Public Radio, which would be the equivalent of the BBC in the UK, they came to me going, hey, we want your radio show on our radio station. I, all right. So I switched my show and it became a national show in the United States. And then uh, a guy named Rob Glazier, who I met from Bill Gates, who left Microsoft, a creative company called Real Audio, says, hey, do you want to stream your show over the Internet? Excuse me. Do you want a recording of your show over the Internet? So I used to send cassette tapes, cassette tapes to Rob and they would encode them and put them on, on, on the air. And I go, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Then Rob goes, God, it'd be nice if we could stream your show, but we would have to have a, like a, a cable connected. I go, why? Can you record me talking on the phone right now? He goes, yeah, yeah, of course I can. I go, why don't we do this? How about if I put you on hold and all you do is just take the on hold feed of the radio station and stream that? He goes, let's try it. I was the first radio show ever streamed on the internet. You you were like the first ever podcast, right? Well, I'll tell you about that too. I invented that. I invented the whole technology around what a podcast, Adam Curry did not do what I did, but uh, I developed that also. So I basically went into an industry that, most people would not, especially today, think is, is a good industry and that's the radio space. I learned my speaking techniques by speaking to an audience I can't see. And when you have an audience like a, a crowd, it gets much easier because you can see inflections and reactions. Radio is fairly hard because I don't know if I'm entertaining that audience on the other side. So it's got to be extra abundant, right? So um, that radio show then eventually became uh, Business Rockstars, which in the United States, I became number nine in the country, three and a half million, million listeners every day. And um, that show really, uh, really took me to another level. I left that about four years ago. And uh, I've been on the speaking circuit most of the time. I've done about maybe one to two speeches a week, but for large entities around the world. So, yeah. uh, And I write every talk differently. I never give the same talk. So That's I write funny. it for the community. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard. Because most people have their sort of set keynotes that they, they deliver and maybe make a few adaptations. And, and you, you like a bigger challenge. Well, no, but I also think the problem is YouTube has kind of destroyed that idea because somebody sits in the audience or if that event says, oh, we're now going to take what we have and put it on YouTube and someone could see it. Well, then that means everybody else that's at another conference has already seen it. Right. So you have to change it up just in case that happens. So. You know, when, when I do radio, um, for me to do a two-hour show every day, I had 24 pages of notes to do a two-hour show. I would write that the night before. I go, heck, if I could write a radio show the night before, why not write a keynote speech? And I can, and I do. So it's it's pretty exhilarating. Let me let me just touch upon one thing real yeah, quick. Please. Um, there, there's a hidden gem that's out there, and the gem is traditional broadcast media. So everybody laughs, well, oh, God, TV's dead, radio, who listens to radio? A lot of people do. Yeah. It's still massive. 
But the problem is everyone wants to have a podcast or if they want to do a YouTube channel. If you go to any YouTuber and you go, hey, it's TV, what do you think? Go, oh, TV's dead. If you go, hey, YouTuber, do you want a TV show? They go, yeah, it's not dead. It's just hard to do. Right. But most radio stations, other than what's called tier one, that would be a radio show in a predominantly powerful market. So that could be Chicago, Barcelona, or London. The tier two ones would be Kent, right? Would be um, would be Cannes in uh, France. Uh, it would be uh, Orlando, believe it or not, in, in Florida. Those are tier two markets. Radio stations have inventory that's completely wide open. If you pitch a show to them, there's a higher probability of you getting a free show on a tier two or tier three market than going to a tier one, which everyone wants to do, which is stupid. Yeah. But you can have your own radio show, right. which then turns into your podcast. Podcasts don't turn into radio shows. Radio shows turn into podcasts. Yeah. You want to substantiate yourself, get a radio show or a TV show. That's a, that's a pretty cool idea. So, you know, everyone sort of always seems to aim straight for the top. And it's like, well, actually, maybe a better way to get there by taking some uh, some levels that are below that, that uh, that can elevate oh, you oh, yeah. and be even might even be more beneficial to you and your crowd, but certainly get you that known status as well on the way up. The only one that could aim for the top and get it was Merkel, and she got a prince, right? right. But I'm just saying people don't say, oh, I'm going to go get George Clooney, or I'm going to go get Giselle. You don't start that way. Yeah. Start middle market and move your way up, and that's what I did, and it worked quite well. Yeah. So you, you were one of the first people who perhaps was talking to audiences um, without having an audience that you could see in front of you and respond to in front of you. But we're, we're mostly all doing that these days. Uh, or we're seeing people on Zoom. It's very different sort of connections. What are the things that, that you could share that you're, like your insights or your top tips for people to be able to improve how they do this because you know we hear zoom fatigue all the time and i i, I think i tend to think it's more people just don't know how to do this and it they get bored or they don't know how to keep engagement what, what do you reckon ken you attended my event it's actually four hours but you probably attended maybe two hours did you have any zoom fatigue i did not no i think i think i probably was on for uh maybe three hours but uh, yeah it was it was no fatigue. i didn't want to leave i didn't want to leave and, and, and the reason why is because we know that most of us have an attention span that's generally about three minutes long. That's it. And and if you really go look at like a uh, a Michael Bay movie, it's fun. Go watch Transformers or uh, Armageddon. He has a camera change every seven seconds. He's conditioned us to say, I'm bored, change the camera. I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. Well, when we're on Zoom, we're seeing one window, same talking head. I'm bored. So I need to have interactions and changes or oh, wows. So in every conversation I do, um, I do probably about right now Zoom, maybe six to eight Zoom interviews a week, period. And every one of them, I start with the hardest question right at the beginning. And because everyone's going, all right, let's get in there. And I would go, so you almost died of cancer. What? You know, you, you were bit by a shark, you know, <laughs> yeah. five divorces. You can't find success in one of them. You want that. You want people to almost, as you're giving a speech, to lift out of the chair. I always believe that if you could start with a laugh or a lean in, you get the crowd going. Yeah. If you go watch Joel Olstein, who's a phenomenal presenter, 
Uh, Joel Osteen is uh, one of the, the best prosperity ministers. He always starts with a laugh. He starts with a joke. And then the end has to be a WTF or drop the mic. Your very end part of your talk, you go, bam, what did I just do? So what I do on, on my talks is I try to find a way, and this is ballsy, I try to get the entire audience onto the stage. Now, I, 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 I've done up to 6,000 people on a stage until stage managers go, you got to get them off. It's going to collapse. <laughs> and the reason why is I want one big giant photo of everybody that was there to take a picture of that. So then they can send it out going, oh, my God, the speaker got us on stage. Yeah. So I, I try to turn things around to where the audience becomes part of. And that's probably one of the secrets. Same thing in a Zoom environment. I like seeing Zoom calls, not webinar calls. Webinar calls are just the two people or whomever the board, you know, the, the windows are. I want everybody to be participating in that conference call. So if there's 500 people, Tony Robbins does it also. Get them interactive and they should never know that they're going to be called upon. Right. That's another big secret. You don't know. It's like, oh no, God, Ken's going to call on me. I better be paying attention. Yeah. So... Secrets to a great Zoom call is this. The unexpected always make sure it's expected. You're, it, it's unexpected that Ken's going to call on you. Two, he's always or you're going to always lead with a strong, like, drop the mic. I can't believe you asked that. And at the end, it's got to be something that's powerful and memorable. You do those, Zoom fatigue disappears. Right. That, that's that's interesting. I mean, I've, I've always gone with, like, in, into my shows, I, I do a bit of, like, um, I, I guess I lubricate before I go in, you know, is uh, um, my easing easing the path in. But I, I do like that sort of idea. I, I'm pretty much a sort of straight into straight into it kind of guy. I like to get into the deeper stuff early on. But um, the I think one of the things that is really important, I think more and more speakers and presenters are realizing, it, is having those moments of impact, and and that's kind of what you're describing is like the things that actually will stick in your in your brain and be something that's a little bit different to what other people are doing and you're going to remember it and you're going to remember the experience of it as well and um, because it has a much bigger impact on you and uh, you know the always remember a, a way to judge especially when you have an audience if you're doing a good job is when someone's doing something like oh they're picking up their phone to take a picture of your slide right or they're writing something down if you get more of that, you know that they want to remember this. They want it to be a shareable moment. So as every mind grenade you could pop off and blow up in their head, they're going to want to lean in and capture that. So that's a good way. And then last is that line for you after you're done with the talk. If you have a damn good long line, you know you've achieved your goal, which, by the way, you then made whomever hired you very happy because the audience isn't really my customer. The customer is the one who paid me to be the speaker. Right. So I need to make them happy. The audience, if they're in that line, they talk about me and all that, that person goes, oh, I spent 60,000 US dollars on Ken. So well worth it. And that's the idea. So I got to know who my boss is in that situation. And then I know what my tools and, and my tools are. My tools are the audience. So I use the audience to make sure my boss, the one who hired me, is going to be happy. Great. For, for, for you, Ken, what are the best and worst things about being a speaker? Um, well, let's start with the worst. I think that 
speaking is kind of like a drug. It really is. You know, I've never done drugs pretty square in that aspect, but that high of getting on stage and just killing it is great. And then when you say goodbye, it's like, oh, I need that, that shot again. I need it. I need it. So there's not enough of it. So that's probably the first thing. Um, I kind of like all the problems. See, being a speaker, your, your, your job is to really convey thoughts and ideas to an audience that are going to take it away. It, your job is not to complain about the stage or the lighting or the microphone or how your keynotes. Not, that's not your job. They don't need to know the problems. I actually like to go into environments that every once in a while, it's like, damn, my keynote doesn't work. I have to ad lib. And I just wrote a, an hour and a half keynote. When I'm done, it's like, thank God that happened. Yeah. Right. I, I, so I, 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 um, the worst part about speaking is when you get a speaking gig to an audience that will not know what you're talking about, you've spoken over their heads. And that's happened to me where I wrote stuff that to me was masterful. And then the audience I get, it was, uh, I'm hoping a few of them had a, a GED and they, meaning they just graduated from high school. They just couldn't understand what I was talking about. And that, that kind of falls flat on the face, right? right? The best parts of speaking, if you do it right, um, you're, you're positioned at a point to where you get to meet all the VIPs. You sit at the right table and you meet the right people. If you've done a great job, it's kind of like a virus. How appropriate is that? It just spreads and you get more speaking gigs. I spoke at uh, one event and that was for a event organization group. And I did one speech there from that one speech and I was discounted. I still got paid, but I got paid probably about 20% what I would normally get. That event got me almost 60 other speaking again, events at my retail price. Right. So it's, it's positioning, you know, speaking, speaking to me is awesome. I love it. I, 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 come on guys out there. If you're not into the idea of traveling business or first class being treated like royalty. And if you do a great job, they are ooing and awing you, right? So you always have to perform like an elite athlete all the time to get more and more speaking gigs. And I, and I really aim to please all the time. Yeah. Are, are there some speakers you've seen out there who really impress you as well? Yeah, of course. I like speakers that are unique. Like Marco Tempest would be one of my favorite ones. Um, Marco is a, a very, very good friend of mine. Marco has the dubious distinction of speaking at TED, not TED, uh, TEDx, but TED more than anyone, actually. More than uh, Sir Ken, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, actually more than anyone. So Ted, Marco Tempest. Marco Tempest, I really like. Uh, I like uh, Mike Walsh. Mike Walsh is a, a fabulous speaker who's uh, uh, literally, when there was no COVID, this guy's a handsome guy, long hair, looks like he walked out of a, like a fashion magazine and his, his girlfriend looks like she walked out of Maxim. They would live at the Ritz-Carlton Four Seasons and every three or four days travel to another city because he was giving a keynote speech. He would get thirty to $40,000, and then he would just be living out of a suitcase, but he looked like a, a trillionaire. And Mike Walsh is a great speaker. Um, I got one for you. I got a great one for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of shock you on a speaker. Uh, he's a clown. I, I got to remember his name. So he is 
literally a clown circus act. His hair goes up to here. It's all red. Uh And he uh, talks about clowning. It blew my mind. He was one of these speakers and he's got 12 world records. I love stuff like that, right? I like things where you go, what did I just experience? You know, it's, it's, it's like a, a Tarantino movie. If you've got the right Tarantino movie, you have no idea to what to expect by the time you get to the end. You go, my God, that was amazing. Not all his movies, but most. <laughs> uh, Bello. Bello Knox. That's his name. Bello Knox. Great speaker. Fantastic. This sounds good. There's definitely people to check out. I've had well, uh, a clown on my show as well. It's interesting. But just remember, uh, because of my metal group, Metal International, I have to book five speakers a week a week and so we get a sample of what they're like for about 15 minutes and then what i do is if they were good in that 15 minutes i call them over and then they talk for an hour inside metal so we see them in that hors d'oeuvre type environment for that 15 minutes and then they come over and they speak for an hour i have never paid a speaker because the community if it's done right We'll find a way to support those speakers and get them the things they need. So if they want more speaking gigs or they're trying to raise money for a tool or an app they're doing, or they have a nonprofit organization, we will stand up and help out that individual. So that's kind of a unique move because most people think speakers just want money. Sure. Other ones want certain resources or relationships. It's, it's an interesting perspective. Uh, I had a, a speaker agent on a while back and she was saying, whatever you, whenever you speak, there should be value, but it's not always necessarily financial value. Uh, Absolutely. So, you know, look, look to, you know, don't be just speaking for the sake of opening your mouth. <laughs> you need to get your practice time in and everything. But when you're actually getting booked for something, there should be value, uh, even if it's, even if what? you're not getting directly paid for it. Um, so yeah, I think that relates perhaps as well. It's, it's an interesting concept. I mean, one of the things that with, with your, um, with your connection group with metal and, and with everything else that you do, uh, I know I, my feeling is that public speaking is still one of the most influential arts that there is. Like the ability to get up and speak is very persuasive and it sets you up as a, in a position of, uh, being a, a key person of influence in those sort of arrangements. What, what, is your take on persuasion and, and influence? You're friends with Chris Voss, who's a bit of a master of persuasion as well in negotiations. What, what's your opinion on, on that in relation to presenting public speaking? <laughs> Again, who is your customer? If your customer being the one that hired you is going to ask you to influence or to maneuver them into a certain direction, that's why you were hired. <laughs> So it depends. It depends who you're working for at that time. If you're working for yourself and trying to sell your books or your online courses, you, in theory, are the one that's trying to influence and maneuver and get those people to do something to buy your lessons or your books. So it depends who your boss is at that time. Okay. Once you decide that, then you know how to curtail that conversation to get that audience to react and respond and engage a certain way. But it's all predicated on who's hiring you. Yeah, uh, I, I generally get hired by companies to influence the crowd, to motivate them to work at peak performance. So I would use where the future is going or the limitations of what they have to look up beyond that to get them to move faster and more assertive in their, their work performance. So generally I'm hired because KPIs uh, are lower 
and the community isn't performing at their peak level. So I will be brought in by that boss to speak at that event, to get them excited, to take themselves to another level. Traditionally, that's what I'm brought in for. And, and I do it in a way that is not threatening, but more motivating, not inspiring. I'm, I'm I, I inspire, not motivate, because motivational speakers, that's a spark that doesn't last long. In, inspirational speakers, you can draw it out of yourself. So does that make sense? It's who you it who hired you. Chris Voss, Chris is a very good friend. I'm actually in a, uh, I have a sub men's group of 10 guys, and it's, Chris is part of it. Chris's boss is his company called Black Swan. Black Swan teaches the art of negotiation. So whatever helps Chris sell more of Black Swan services, he will then take that speaking gig or that position to talk in front of an audience. But he knows who his boss is. Most of us don't. I think that's one of the biggest problems of most speakers. When they get on stage, they go, hey, I want to talk about this. Well, who's hiring you to talk about that? And what value will that entity get by you speaking on stage? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I was a little bit in fanboy mode when I was on the on the <laughs> Zoom call with you. On, I was like, oh wow, I'm in the same Zoom call as, as Chris Foss. That's pretty cool. Um, so <laughs> from your from your perspective, what do you think makes a, a speaker persuasive on the stage? What are the things that speakers should be focusing on if they're looking to persuade from the platform? Uh, well, obviously, first is how they're seen. You know, if you're looking frumpy and dumpy, you're not going to be able to maneuver or persuade anyone to do anything. So you, you have to always dress up. I, I'm having a problem and maybe I'm a bit old school when people walk out in, in jeans and old tennis shoes or gym shoes, I, you, you dress up, you're there because you are the center of what they're going to see. And if you're wearing something that you normally wear in the street, you're not sticking out. So first, your image and the way you are. Make sure your hair looks good. If you don't have hair, great. Make sure your bald head looks good. But whatever, look great. Next, I hate the idea of using profanity. I think profanity brings us down a level. I think that our bombastic phraseology is generally too copious for most people's vague apprehension. If we could utilize the proper words and word mechanics, you inspire people to get more excited about what's going on. Profanity kind of lowers the bar of conversation. So I eliminate profanity. Next, I love picking people in the audience to be part of that dialogue and conversation because if I could get an easy nod out of one, I probably get it out of the whole audience. So I use the nod points of key audience people that I could see that are doing a lean in because remember, I start with a lean in through either a joke or a drop the bomb type thing, right? So I want to see who is leaning in. So I identify them. And what I do is once I identify them, I make sure that they're known throughout the entire audience. I do something as simple as, what's your favorite animal? By the way, what is your favorite animal? Me personally, it's dogs, always dogs. And what are three adjectives that describe a dog? Um, adjectives, uh, well, loyal, um, loving, uh, fun. Yeah. Those are good. Those, that's you. That you just des describe yourself. And because of that, well, and, and by the way, most men say dogs, horse, 
those are the two ones that most men say, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? It is. Uh, and women, women say dogs and dolphins, which is kind of interesting too. But by identifying that, I will do that in an audience. So now I know to go to you because I got a, a small idea of your character from that. So I use the audience as a tool for persuasion. Yeah. And then last, I always went repeating, but I don't say, hey, are you having a good day? Say yes. I don't do the old school way and that, you know, where a uh, Jack Canfield or a Mark Victor Hansen would do. What I say is tomorrow we, and I'm just using an example, we'll go into quantum theory. Who here knows what quantum theory is? Raise your hand. Somebody raise your hand. Great. What is quantum theory? And they'll come up, oh, quantum theory is great. And they'll repeat. Then I could actually say something to where if I get the audience to repeat something that's big and something that needs to be remembered, I'll do that. But the audience is my tool. It's not me trying to get them to do anything. I want the audience to come up with it themselves. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, one of the things I sometimes talk about and work with people on is, is um, their inner beliefs as being a speaker and presenter. And I think there are some that perhaps you develop over years of doing this. And, and as an experienced presenter and speaker yourself, what do you think are some of those inner beliefs about yourself and your ability that are important to hold as, as a speaker? Well, I suffer from the imposter syndrome. So my inner beliefs are always self-doubt, but that's, that's my own demons I have to deal with. Does that fuel you though, do you think? Or, uh... Well, yeah, it's interesting, right? Cause I, I meet some of the best of the best. And when I say, yeah, I suffer from imposter syndrome, they go, me too. I go, you gotta be kidding me. You're, you're, you're at the elite level and you're suffering. I think I, I heard that from uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, he gets $250,000 every time he speaks hmm. and he's got the imposter syndrome. I go, how can you have that? You're, you're Mr. Universe. You're, you can't imagine. You're, you're, Conan the, the Barbarian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I guess that maybe that there is one of those fuels that really make us want to overperform. I always believe that if I could always do more than what they thought, I'm always going to get called upon because, you know, it's all around our egos. I don't want to self-sabotage my own ego by underperforming and not giving the audience or the person hired me something more than they ever expected. So I, I can't self-sabotage and I won't do that. Uh, I, I also believe that, again, I, I'm leaving a, a, a almost like a, let, let, let's call it a, a legacy of the way I think with an audience. You know, I, I remember speaking, and this is going back almost 10 years ago, maybe more. Yeah, it was 2008. And there's a line my dad said to me a long time ago when I was a kid. A professional is expensive. An amateur is a fortune. And, you know, just to give you an idea, you and I are probably amateurs when it comes to plumbing. But if our <laughs> sink breaks or if our toilet's not working, we're going to go try to fix it. Yeah. And what we end up doing is we make it even worse to where now we have to call in the, the high-end plumber to fix it. And it costs even more to fix because it's not the little problem it was. It was the bigger problem that we made, right? So always call in a professional. So I said that. And I remember in 2015, I saw somebody and they go, you know what? That's our motto for a business now. And then recently, it's 2019, I heard someone say if they put it on their T-shirts. And I was thinking, my dad's words have echoed other people in a lot of ways that's his legacy that came through for me. So great speakers, and we see Gary Vee do this all the time, where 
their words have become a legacy or a benchmark to where things are. If you're a damn good speaker, you're going to come up with those legacy terms. Yeah. And it's an important thing to think about what you're actually going to leave people with and, uh, and, and what people will remember about you in the, in the future. Or they come and check out, oh, yeah, I remember. This is, uh, this is what yeah. you're all about. That, that's partly your branding as well, right? I mean, people always maybe think about, can think about that in terms of, you know, not just from a sort of uh, marketing perspective branding, but from a values, personal values, who you are, who you show up as in your life, uh, that people should be able to see that in a lot of the things that you do and feel that. Uh, from from what you put out, which uh, which yeah, and like I said, you know, I, my 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 Insta and Twitter are all the same. Ken Radio. If you go watch my stories, my my character comes through. I don't try; I just do because I should be who I am all the time without trying. So I try to show that ethical, conscious side of always uplifting people, and that's part of what I want to do with that audience too. I always want to consciously uplift people. I, I mean, I'll just tell you, give you an example. So in Bali, the average person here makes about 30 U.S. cents an hour, an hour. Okay, it's, 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 so think, think maybe 20, 22 euros an hour, or 22 euro cents an hour. And people we meet here have never been to a restaurant in their entire life, a restaurant. They've never had hot water, like hot running water. So we actually invite people to go to lunch and sit down with them and watch what they eat and tell them, don't look at the prices. Or we invite them over to where we live and go, Hey, you could use one of our bathrooms, go take a shower. Cause these are resources that are ours. We're not giving up anything really. Yeah. And because of that, it allows us to connect with society more. Now, why is that important? When I'm speaking, these are real stories of what we're doing that are part of what it is. Cause I notice a lot of speakers that create fake stories and yeah. those fake stories you find out later on that that was BS. They lied about that. Hey, I'm showing the things we're doing. They're legit. They're real. They're part of our social environment that we're in. So we're creating the things that we do want to talk about too. And I'm not saying we're using these people's tools to do that. We're giving it out of our heart. That does become stories later on. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've uh, railed against somewhat in the uh, in the speaking world, the, the sort of fakery that goes on around. And, and I can certainly remember a time, so especially maybe some of my earlier days being involved in the personal development world of hearing certain speakers essentially telling the same sort of uh, what's often referred to now as a bit of a bullshit backstory of uh, not what? really, uh, not really you're kind of hearing the same thing. It's like, well, who's, whose story is that? They're, they're all saying they've had the same thing. They're, they were all boiling water in a pan because they, uh, because they didn't have a hot shower. So uh, all Come of on. them. <laughs> Look at Jay Shetty. Jay Shetty did this, remember? Right. He was misquoting everybody and he was saying it was his. Yeah. yeah. It says it's going to come up and bite you in the ass at one point in time. Just, be real, don't lie, be authentic, and, and that character will come through. If you want to be a great speaker, you can't sit home. You can't just be at a desk. You have to absorb life because, remember, your goal is to let them see things that you've never seen before. Yeah. But I, I, do want to, I do want to bring something. I, I'm not sure if I told you this. So my mentor, because um, I started that radio career in the late 90s, I started getting fairly connected. And I met a guy named Peter Jennings. I'm not sure if you know who that was. Uh, so Peter Jennings in the United States was considered one of the top newscasters who would do the evening news on ABC television. So the evening news was done by Peter Jennings. 
and Peter was at the top. He was he was bigger than Larry King at the time. I mean, people like that, okay? And I would go to New York, Times Square, and I would see him do the evening news. And then after the evening news, he would always have to go smoke, and we would go outside ABC Studios. And one day he said something I think was one of the most powerful things. And to this day, I still use it. He said, Ken, just look upon Times Square for a few seconds. And I'm looking around, looking around. He goes, now look at me. And I look at him. He goes, what'd you see? I go, oh, uh, I saw the naked cowboy. I saw the ticket Toronto over there. I saw a thing for Les Miserables. He goes, no, you're looking at it wrong. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I want you to look at the same view of Times Square, but break it up into six frames, three on top, three on bottom, or excuse me, two on, or yeah, three on top, three on bottom. I go, okay. And I looked out and I had these six frames, six frames, you know, and look, and then I looked at them 15 seconds later. I go, oh my gosh, I see so much more detail. I saw this quadrant and that quadrant. And I was able to tell this story that I wasn't able to do before because I saw everything. Right. Great speakers need to do the same thing. So whatever your talk is about, Break it up into frames and take it from different angles and different points of view so that when you're on stage, it's as if you just gave them a way in, in their own almost virtual reality space to go around that topic and go with you on that journey. It's really important to do. And great speakers do that. They take you on that journey to where you go, I'm exhausted after that hour talk because they took me on something that my body felt like it went through. And that's great. Sorry about all that. It's no, fine. I think I apologize. No, I don't apologize at all because I think that's one of, probably one of the most powerful things I've had shared on one of my shows before now, and I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. It's uh, yeah, you know, you get a bit of a tingle when you hear something. It's like, oh yeah, that's really big. Uh, so appreciate that. Thank you. Um, as we start to draw things to close, as much as I would love to speak to you all day, um, I, I know. Although I think it might be um, either super late or super early for you there. right? Well, it's a seven twenty-seven at night, so it's good. Oh, that's not too bad. That is friendlier than I thought it might be. Uh, but as we start to draw things to close, I know people will be wanting to find out more about you. What What are the best ways for them to do that and to connect, Ken? I love Twitter and I love Instagram. I just do. But you know, can, can, let's real quick. Let's just talk about one thing that's really important. And that is uh, when we talk about languages, and you kind of just said it without saying it. Most of the time, we think languages. You mean like Spanish or English or Bahasa? Or we go, no, no, no. Remember, language means communicate. That's what it means. And today, the languages are, are radically different amongst different generations. So if I want to talk to my son, I probably would DM him inside Instagram as opposed to FaceTiming him or calling him or text messaging him. His language is DM and Instagram, where someone like me, if you send me an email, you are not speaking my language. I don't really read email. But if you pop up, on a FaceTime, you own me or on WhatsApp. So in a networking space, or I like to call it a connecting space, you want to find out what that language is the person you want to talk to speaks. And by doing that, then you're going to have better access to them. So for example, you could add me in LinkedIn. Great. Will I see it? Maybe not because I get so much email in there, but you can connect with me. But if you really want me, Add me on Instagram and DM me in there because I am there and I, I respond because that's that's my language. Same thing with Twitter. 
So those are two, my two platforms of choice. Does that make sense about language? No, it absolutely does. Yeah, I think, yeah, for me, it's Twitter and LinkedIn. But yeah, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Like, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, you should see where I'm actually active, <laughs> where, where uh, the, there's a good chance that you will actually be able to connect with me directly and not, not someone who's representing me or not something that's getting uh, sort of uh, robot posted out or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's right. By, by the way, a metal, uh, which is metal.international and Ladies out there, we are starting a, a women's group also. Uh, if you just go to metal.international and you click on, uh, I think it's free guest pass. You get a guest pass and you can try it out. We're doing these cool unconferences. I'm not sure if you had a chance to go to one of those. I didn't. I saw it to, promoted and it looked so cool. And unfortunately, couldn't do it the day it was on. But next one, for sure. I'll tell you, the, the next unconference we're doing, which is a cool co-ed, well, primarily for women, a couple of our speakers will have like Alison Levine, who's climbed Mount Everest twice, and uh, she's climbed the tallest mountain in each one of the continents. Uh, Molly Brooks, if you ever seen the movie um, uh, Molly's Game, she'll be speaking. I mean, this really cool, amazing women to inspire women, and uh, it doesn't cost you anything. So hang out. And I really do appreciate you sharing time with me today. I really do. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's been wonderful to to hang out with you, and, and I've had a lot of fun since connecting with you as well. You know, it's one of the things that you just sometimes when you connect with someone, you connect, <laughs> and it's not just uh, okay, show up on the show and, yeah. uh, and never never have contact with them again. Uh, you know, it's, it's fine. Someone comes along and gives their value, but when you connect with people, can you you really connect? And, and I, I definitely appreciate that. So thank thank you for that, and for for everything you shared on the show today. It's been very insightful. Uh, it's been a very fun conversation. I think there have been some very key moments to, and things to take away. And I, I certainly, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of show where I want to go back and review and get, make my own notes because like, well, there was a lot there. there there's a lot I'm going to unpick from that later on. So thank you. Uh, what, just before we do wrap things up, what's the best thing you've eaten in Bali? Oh, mango scene. Have you ever seen a mango scene? No, I don't think so. Okay. It's, it's a fruit. It's hard to get outside. I don't know why, but it's a fruit that's got a hard shell. I eat them all the time. And when you open it up, it tastes like strawberries, watermelon, and grapes all combined. That sounds incredible. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I definitely have to get there, get out there and try that. Uh, one, one last thing. I do like to ask my guests for a, for a book that they would recommend. It doesn't have to be nonfiction. It can be anything you like. But what would be a great book that you think everyone should be reading? It's a simple, basic book. It's called The Way of the Bull by Leo Biscaglia, and it talks about heart love. It was one of the first books I ever, ever read in my life when I was young. And to this day, it's one of the most important books. My favorite quote from it says, the only thing certain for us is change. To battle change is a waste of time. To trust change assures ourselves of life. And I fully believe and I'm committed to embracing change all the time. Fantastic. Great words to wrap things up on today as well. Uh, I love it. Sir Ken Wachowski, thank you so much for joining us today on Speaking of Influence. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, please consider subscribing so you don't miss any future episodes and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people to find the show. Whilst you're here, why not pop over to presentinfluence.com and grab yourself a free copy of the last minute presentation checklist. Now I say quite sincerely, I thoroughly enjoyed my experience with Ken Wachowski's Metal Network and I will be going back. 
Whether you are male or female, there will be something for you. If you are a professional speaker or coach or trainer, you are not going to want to miss my next episode with Tracy Lamuri. Tracy is a PR agent and she shares some of the secrets to getting publicity like a celebrity, some of it for free. And maybe even finding out whether working with a PR agent is the right move for you that could save you a ton of money on your marketing and really get you the exposure you need to become known. So that's all coming up on the next episode of Speaking of Influence. See you then.